This is for the thought leaders, dreamers, tastemakers, movers and shakers of right now and of the future. This is an ongoing brainstorm for new entrepreneurial ideas to improve our lives as individuals and the societies to which we contribute. This is the Think in Your Armor with Jonesy and Korv. go we're back we're back tell the folks what we're doing corv dude we are have a very special show in store today we are doing a brainstorm which is our version of a review on the last kingdom and a series currently showing on netflix that's okay. right and as okay. we do with every show folks and we give you our personal ideas our proposals for the improvement of whatever the topic is specific show we you know have a dialogue with us on our social platforms and tell us what you think of the last kingdom. We know some of you out there like the last kingdom. Yeah. And, uh, well, maybe, maybe you'll have to, you know, hear it from us, hear us talking about the last kingdom might get you juiced up to, to, to click the button on Netflix and then, and then you watch it and then you tell us what's up too. Yeah. You know? And if you have some proposals, you know, the proposals in this case, I think are interesting core of like the suggestions we have, because they're not necessarily about making, um, the last kingdom itself as a series better, but maybe no. <laughs> taking some of what the last kingdom did right and yeah. making the rest Everything of uh, the entertainment landscape exactly. better. Yeah, exactly. Ring the bell. Ding, 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 ding. Like we want to see some more of this formula. I, I think, um, repeated yeah. in, in yep. whole new, whole new productions. Yep. So Jonesy for the folks out there, just to let them know the last kingdom is a, I guess you would call it a medieval drama. It's set yeah. in, um, I believe, around 890 A.D. It's and, 890 A.D.? Yeah. Okay. And um, it takes place in England. And, yeah. uh, and um, you know, I guess the best way I could just describe it to the folks out there in a way to get everyone juiced up as much as you and I are without even the folks that haven't seen it yet is that I would, I would feel comfortable calling this show the greatest – Medieval drama since Mel Gibson was getting his guts ripped out in Braveheart. Okay. Okay? That's food I'll for thought. I'll tell you this, Gord, It's definitely the greatest. Whether someone would challenge you on that or not, I'm sure you, that, like, you can scrounge up some great I don't know. Movies. I think we've seen them all, though. I'm talking medieval drama. Well, I'll tell you that what I wanted to, I wanted to make the distinction of a series. I mean, yeah, it's got to oh, be the best yeah. mid. It's got to be the me- best dramatic medieval series. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be like more a more of a a confident claim by you. You know, I I can't imagine a series that can compete. No, with there's it. certainly no series. Like, I mean, they, like like Braveheart's going to compete with it, but what series can compete with it in this exact? Well, uh, Honestly, the first thing you think of when you think of something like that, when you see the thumbnail on Netflix, is Game of Thrones. Because it's really the only thing, I think, that has those medieval themes. But it's totally different from that in the fact that Game of, Game of Thrones is an absolute fantasy series. You know what I mean? Whereas... Um, and it's, that, that started to wear on you a little bit. It wears on you. Well, Thrones. I was craving... I crave the period pieces in, in film yeah. and in series that are that are kind of real and based on yeah. real things you know because when i when we when braveheart came out me and our friend the boss tadio sat in, in in both of our living rooms both times we watched the heck out of that movie man it was incredible to see yeah. you know a realistic depiction of somewhat realistic based on some real people william wallace etc you know of what people were doing a thousand years ago man these these people were sick 
you know, and watching that was just incredible. So ever since then, I've been waiting for something like this to come out where we get the real deal. We get, we don't have dragons. We don't have wizards. We don't have zombies. I, you know, I, I like all that stuff, Jonesy, sometimes. But sometimes I want the real deal, man. I don't, I don't want, I don't need to have lightning bolts and, and, and wizardry all the time, you know? So I've been waiting for something like this to come out. And we've had movies like that one with uh, Orlando Bloom, um, where he was in uh, Jerusalem or whatever, you know, uh, in the Crusades. And, you know, that was pretty good. Um, but that but that wasn't – it was a little ridiculous, you know, at the same time. We've had, you know – Why was that one ridiculous? Was it – did it take serious liberties with history? Yes, dude. When you and I went to go see that. It's where um, Salah Hadin is taking back uh, the Holy Land and, and Orlando Bloom, like, single-handedly takes out an entire – army of syrians or whatever i mean it was it was ridiculous well dude corb i have some i mean based on what you're saying i i i really actually like my notes for this episode because there's not too many of them and they're concise and i incorporated yours so based on what you're saying one of the things you said dude is that you're throwing bbc some props you know it's no coincidence jonesy that this show has been brought to us it's on american networking on netflix so we could all hop on netflix everybody but it's no coincidence that this was not a show produced by studios in Hollywood. This wasn't a show produced by studios in Miami. This wasn't produced in New York, man. This was coming straight out of the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I mean, I like the sound of it, man. Like, I'm on board with what you're saying. I feel like there's got to be some. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I feel like they, they've got to. Ha- they have to have something to do with the the great quality we're seeing, you know, their whole well, approach and whatever their ethos as a company is. Totally. I think they're, they're bringing justice. Plus it, listen, it's a, it's a show about, about the origin story of Britain, so to yep. speak. And is BBC going to lay a goose egg on that? You know? No. So, but mm-hmm. here's the thing, like we talked about, like I, I watched the show cause I, 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 I saw it on Netflix and I, and I hit the, um, you know, the, the, the button to put it on. And, and I wasn't like expecting too much, but I was just by the end of the last episode, I was totally juiced up and then recommending it to you. And like, you got to watch this, but here's the thing that the, I felt like the distinction I got right away, the BBC, they had a certain authenticity to, to the, the writing on the show, a certain authenticity to the characters, a certain authenticity to the casting that I think sometimes not to beat down, you know, our great country, but we get watered down versions of stuff because, People aren't ready for anything too authentic sometimes. Like, we got to have, like, that that perfect love story. We got to have that perfect, you know, good versus evil story. We got to have the most handsome, you know, 21-year-old playing, playing a 15-year-old and being the wrong race and the wrong color and the wrong everything just because they're handsome and they're a star. You know, same thing in, in roles with females. We got to have that, that, that mega female actress that's hot at the time playing that role. And we can't if, – if they're not in that movie and we don't have a good trailer, you know, we're not going to the box office or we're not firing up on, on, on demand to, to see it, okay? You know, but the BBC didn't make this show for, for people here. I mean, in, in the, the, the audience I'm talking about, they made it for themselves it seems like. And they put a certain level of authenticity behind it that we just don't get here, Jonesy. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think we've – I don't think I've seen a series um... – that's like this. I mean, I can't think of a series that's like this. It's unique, Corvin, that, you know, it's a fictional series. So they have the freedom 
to take the plot and and the individual character development where they where they want to and they have that flexibility and that malleability to de- to develop things and make them exciting as they see fit which is beneficial but then at the same time at least like in in the nature of the historical landscape they stay pretty true and accurate to the way things would have been to to the yeah. way people would have looked to the way they would have acted and to what was going on with the different, you know, groups involved, like the Danes and the Saxons. I mean, should we give like a little summary to paint the picture for the folks that it's basically surrounding um, the main, this main character by the name of Uhtred, who was a, a, a Saxon boy, but got kidnapped by the Danes, which are like Vikings. And yeah. when he was a kid and raised by the Danes. And then the whole series is like him as an adult being torn between both groups and trying to fit in on both groups. We're not really fitting in in either of them perfectly. And um, they're like you're saying, it's based on um, there's some real fi- real people that it's based on. Like the main character really existed. His name's and, and there and there's real forces, Corv. Like yeah. one of the things that's really interesting, like if you're guys like us, um, I just want to make this point is that the it, like what I was saying. Now you're giving supporting details to the main idea. The the actual story arc and stuff. Okay, the author made that up. But the Danes really invaded England and really became part of the English identity. They really blended with the Germanic tribes that were already there, like the Angles and the Saxons, from which Anglo-Saxon is derived, the word, and and are in the, the bloodline, the complex, you know, modern mixed bloodline and stuff like that. And to see... The beginning of that process, which yep. now we're out of touch with largely, is is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you get it to see an idea like there's obviously England today is a country that's got a lot going on. I mean, it's world renowned. It's Great Britain. It's the whole nine. But, you know, where did that all start and how did it come to be that way? And that whole thing where they still have the, the, the princes and whatever and the king and whatever, or they don't have the king, they have a queen right now. Like, what what is all that about? Well, you look back and you watch a show like this, you kind of get an idea, Jonesy, the foundation of some of that. And the fact that it's really more blended, I think, than, than we maybe would have realized culturally. Well, of course, this is, this is a perfect example. I actually just wanted to read this one thing uh-huh. because it's re- related exactly to what you're saying. And it really makes this show extremely fascinating. Did you know that this show was a book first? You probably did. You I probably. found out afterwards. I mean, I would, okay. So, yeah. so th- this guy, I just have to read this paragraph. This guy, Bernard uh, Cornwell, was yeah. was right. Uh, this is quoted straight from Wikipedia, folks, uh, yeah. related to what Corb's saying with the, with the blending and stuff. So in an interview with Emerson College, Cornwell said, years ago when I was at university – I discovered Anglo-Saxon poetry and became hooked on that strange and often melancholy world. For some reason, the history of the Anglo-Saxons isn't much taught in Britain, where I grew up. And it struck me as weird that the English really had no idea where their country came from. Americans know. They even have a starting date. But the English just seemed to assume that England had always been there. So the idea of writing a series about the creation of England was in my head for a long time. The historical setting is the big story. Writing historical fiction needs a little story so the history can be the background. 
When he was in his 50s, Cornwell met his birth father named William Outred and learned the story of his own descent from the Saxons who owned Bebenburg, now called Bamberg Castle. Thus was born Uhtred, the protagonist of the fictional tales. In the interview, he revealed that there is a plan to adapt the series for television, and he goes on, Corb, but we basically see where Uhtred came from, and this guy's explaining everything we were just talking about, but the one point that's really interesting is that this great civilization, that is the English, uh, somehow have a blank slate, you know, uh, more so than they should on their origin story. So that, that, that like... Well, I think that their, their, their origin story, as you could see on the show, or you might, you might have heard, and it didn't, it wasn't like a July 4th, 1776, we decided that we're going to declare our independence. Folks over there on that island, man, had been, were fighting and beating the crap out of each other and being invaded for, for, for oh, maybe over, over a thousand years they were doing that, man. Yeah, it was, a, it was, dude, it was, it was a battleground. It was it a was, straight battleground, man. I yeah. mean, there was like, you know, a good chance that, 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 you know, or almost a certainty that you were going to have to, you know, do, do a wee bit of fighting, man, if you wanted to keep anything in that time, you know, and there was people coming from all over the world trying to take it, you know? I almost feel like we should just shoot on everything we kind of like like about this story and get that out of the way in yeah. one block here. Yeah. Do you want me to give you something I like? Yeah, yeah. You take the baton first. All right. I like. I like. Um. So the the story does have a bit of like romance. You know, I think every story, you know, it's natural. You know, it's some sort of romance is going to happen or whatever. But You're I feel like romance. the way that they handle romance in this in this is very realistic. In the sense that brutal, it's brutal and it sucks, yeah. you know, and yeah. it hurts, it's, man. It's and brutal. people get hurt, and people sometimes have opportunities to 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 show loyalty and respect, even though their relationship didn't work out. And other times, you know, they're just the real humanity that that is, you know, relationships and the struggle that 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 takes place when two people, you know, decide they're going to spend the rest of their lives together or spending a lot of a lot of time together and the heartbreak that just eventually, you know, happens and, and how difficult it was back then. I just feel like they handle it or when in one the most refreshing way. Decapitated. Oh, dude, spoiler alert. Yeah. We're not going to not going to tell you. Oh, romance hurts, man. <laughs> romance hurts when your queen gets viciously decapitated. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> By Scarpo of the White Horse or whatever his name well, is. Well, like th- it's like this, Jonesy. Um, since you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll do a little. Like, if you don't want to hear any spoilers right now, tune out. Oh yeah, that's the, that's, later, the but, that's the only spoiler. That's the. But no, but it's okay because the, the what I think we got to mention is you know for one time, Jonesy, we got to watch a series where it's not just one dude chasing one girl the entire time. You know, he, the, the main character of the show has three significant relationships yep. that all begin and end for very valid and real reasons and makes yeah, because, total sense. Yeah, yeah, because because of where he as an individual due to forces much bigger than himself uh, is led, you know, by yeah. fate. Like, you know, like he can't, he couldn't possibly have really like when you watch this story, he couldn't possibly it, it makes so much more sense. It's so much more believable that he has these three romances because if he had one, it, it would be hard to believe that. Well, and that how often was maintained? 
how often do we get three in one season of a show that make total sense? You know, it's very rare, or even in a movie, or even in any kind, even in a book. Usually it's one, the guy's chasing that one girl, boy meets girl, he falls in love with girl, they break up, it doesn't work, and in the end they come together, he gets the girl, and everything's great. Not so on The Last Kingdom, Jonesy, because when you first started watching the show, and you were texting me, you were maybe one or one episode in, you're like, dude, I can't believe, you know, Uhtred's, you know, what's going on with his love life here. You didn't say it in those exact words, but for spoiler's sake. And I, I just was, dude, I was doing a little jig here in South Florida when you said that to me. And I was holding off because I couldn't tell you. I wanted to tell you, Jonesy, that's just the start, man. He's going to go through a couple more relationships by the oh, time, I mean, by the time I, that wraps. I, I mean, that. You know, yeah, I, well, I, 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 I didn't. But the realistic flow from relationship to relationship, Jonesy, how could you possibly figure that that well, was? Well, it's more real. It's more. I mean, it's more relatable to see that that trajectory of one to the next because that's the way real life is for people. We don't usually have this singular romance throughout our lives. We have a bunch of disasters with a bunch yeah. of different people. Yeah, and so, dude, to see how that might have looked in that in that time, and to see the the you know the impact of the world around everyone at that time, you had. You know, him, Uhtred caring about three different people, and he really did care about them, but for reasons beyond his control. And in most in most situations, or most, I'd say, really out of his control, you know, things didn't work out. You know, and some didn't really didn't work out. You know what I mean? You really like the flow of romance. I, I like the flow of romance. That's one theme that I, yeah. that I really want to touch. I got another one. Let's hear it. Religion. Okay, and this is one of the things I was. Great. I, it's I great. Was, did, did, God, you, t- you shoot on this one for a second. No, I just want to make the point that uh, all of the different – what they do a great job on this show in terms of religion, um, including like irre- irreligiosity, like a real lack of enthusiasm or lack of, of conviction and belief in, in religion at all as a perspective, um, but that only one of, of several. We're talking about like probably there's at least three – they do a good job at really fleshing out um, in 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 fullness various perspectives on religion mm-hmm. that are at play at the same time within the religious dialogue of this particular setting. And yeah. I really like the various perspectives on it. And, and dude, I feel like they set they you do up. them all justice. They actually do each perspective justice. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like there's more than just two perspectives because they set you up with all right. No, you there's got to be at least three, right? Yeah. So let's talk about them. You have the Saxons, you know, and they they love that one God, and they're all about that one God. There's really well, more they're than Christians. They're Christians, but they yeah. they, have, they believe in one God, the monotheism. All right, so. That, and then on the other side, you have the pagans, which are the Danes, and they have multiple gods. You know what I mean? Odin and all those folks and, and whatever, you know, the, they have multiple gods. So, yes. the, the, but the pagans are decidedly less enthusiastic about their gods. Like they don't really, you know, you don't see them talking about it as much. Whereas the, okay. you know, the Christians, the Saxons are, you know, they have certain customs, everything. Even there's one scene in the show where they all have to pray as a community you know, for when they're, you know, and it just seems a little ridiculous or whatever. And they constantly are questioning it. So the Danes are questioning the, 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 the Christianity, the Christianity is kind of dumping on the, on the fact that these, these, these heathens believe in multiple gods, but then within each, each subgroup, you have Saxons and who are Christians that are kind of questioning the, the, the Christian religion itself. And you have Danes that really show no interest in religion at all. You know yes, what I mean? I, I mean, you're, there's probably even more than three than three perspectives because you you have 
Uhtred, who's a unique perspective, who was raised in within each historical context, and who is taken over um, by by neither. So, I mean, his his nickname actually becomes Uhtred the Godless. And I mean, to me, he sort of represents like a freedom from religion. He's at like all. the center he's, of it. Like he's yeah, like he, the the fulcrum in, in the seesaw of, of religion. Like he is kind of free exactly. of it because of his So, so I mean, nature, dude, we his... almost have like five perspectives that I don't <laughs> yeah. know kind of jump jump out at me because like Uhtred, it kind of kind of is almost representative of like atheism just as like a transcendent belief that is going to naturally um occur in 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 humans anywhere there's never going to be no one that just says ah nah it's i don't i I don't really uh dig on any of it or buy any of it and his name is utra he's the protagonist he becomes his nickname utra the godless but then you have the christian and the uh pagan belief systems so that's two that's two that brings us up to three but then to bring us up to five in between within each of those two belief systems you have the individuals that are um less enthusiastic and and challenging it so you have you have the people that are really with it and then you have that whole entire spectrum of the people who are not really with it and you can see you know in their micro expressions and in the the inflection in their voice you can even see the progression the progression of it jonesy i mean like the um there are folks who start out like really you know, vehement about religion. I, th- I think the, the pr- main priest comes to mind. But then, like, you see moments throughout the eight episodes where even the priest is, like, questioning, like, uh, you know, what's going on here, you know? Because things Yeah, don't- like, he's not going to yeah. challenge the integrity, the priest that you're talking about It uh, initially is, listen, he's, he's being harder on Uhtred and Uhtred's character, and Uhtred is able to prove himself... Yeah. Um, and his integrity to this priest, but, but without submitting to God. So that that's a major, major point that that is made in the plot because the priest cannot deny that this is a great man, better than many of the self-proclaimed religious men that he knows personally. And he just can't even fight that anymore. He accepts it. He says, "Okay, Uhtred the Godless is a yep. stand-up guy." It and takes they, a while. It takes a while, but they make that they make a point of getting that point across. And you know, yeah. let's be honest, for Jonesy, this you know, to me, uh, I'm 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 loving that part of the plot. Yeah, and what, Jonesy, what do you think about too that one of the main characters, King Alfred the Great, um, when we're introduced well, dude, to I, him, I, I, like I have him on his on on these notes. What do you think of King well, Alfred the Great? We're introduced to him as a flawed person, to, right off the back, a conflicted, flawed person, and to me. You want to introduce a character that's going to catch my attention, that I'm going to get juiced up about. Give him some flaws because that's something that everyone yeah. can relate to. Nobody should be perfect. So we're introduced to this guy, Alfred the Great, who is is in line to be the next king, but he's he, he's committing adultery the first time we meet him. You know what I mean? And not that I'm saying I'm, I'm endorsing adultery, but all right, here's the guy who who's, has to be religious. He's the next person to God. He's the king, and he's breaking the rules. Right off the well, bat, got, you know what I mean. He's got he's got a natural joie de vivre, which which is um, kept in line by his you, you, you know ever increasing religious beliefs, um, yeah. which then eventually are challenged by himself that are are self challenged. How as good well. is that? 
what you it, just it's said. Good. I mean, I mean, all the 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 nuance and the ebbs and flows are 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 great. And also, the British guy or wherever he's from in the UK, Wales, whatever his name is, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably maybe do a follow up episode related to this subject. But he's a great actor and another the guy thing, who plays Alfred. Yeah, it's David Dawson. Okay, David Dawson I'm, is is an is an incredible actor. I hadn't known him before this, but nope. the guy's really talented. And um, I just wanted to make this point before we actually shoot on Alfred and get into the historical Alfred, because I think we should make just a few points on that. Corv, you were saying the casting is great uh, on this, and yeah. that's just like one of those examples of this guy just being cast so well because he just nails playing yeah. Alfred well, who came to be known as Alfred. I, I, I would so think good. Jonesy, the folks that watch the show on the BBC channel when it came out in Britain probably are more familiar with David Dawson and, and, and um, oh, the other sure. actors. But I'm for sure. us, there's only, there's nobody on this show that I saw right away. And I said, I know this guy. The only one guy I saw was one of the knights who dies in the last battle that was on another BBC show. I used to watch called Horatio Hornblower back in the day about the British Navy in the, in the 1700s. And that's the only reason I that knew him. Was great. I'm having to watch that show, you know, but everybody else is just a refreshing for us, you know, folks we haven't seen before, but you could tell they, they've earned their chops. You know what I mean? They're, they've honed their chops. They, they're, they're, these guys are cast in a role where they're going to be successful and they really are believable. Every single person on this show, every character from the main character to down to the supporting character to that fat guy who who is the the, um, the head of the, the uh, Uhtred's uh, land is tremendously invested in their role and it shows the whole time. Absolutely, okay. no, absolutely, absolutely, and, and and I think what's amazing, and I, I have a proposal related to this later on, a short one, is that Alfred the Great Corp, he he, listen, he he's a real guy and an important guy in history. Yeah, so it. I think it's very interesting that he's like one of the main characters. And I really love that about this plot because they are able to take this really, really seminal integral figure within British and world history and tie this plot around him, which obviously isn't a hundred percent true. But what I would say is that probably many important things that could prove educational and about this guy's life are, um, you know, largely accurate. Like you could probably learn a lot um, from this show, you know, actually yeah. about actual history and about the, you know, the kind of person that Alfred was. And you could even like the visually, I think they, 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 the way they depict England, I'm not sure exactly where it was filmed, but um, the landscape when, when Alfred retreats to the Somerset levels, which is the swamp, you know, later on in, in the series, yeah. I mean that he really did that and that uh, those swamps really exist, you know, and, you know, it's just kind of awesome to just see that the, the, the realism there, what that might have been like and how folks maybe, you know, made that landscape work for them. And people had to make whatever landscape they were living on at the time work for them because, um, you know, there were certainly no bulldozers and no landfills and things like that back then. You had to just kind of make things work. And uh, they show that on the show. And, and, and to me, I got a greater appreciation, Jonesy, for the topography and the geography of, of England itself from watching the show. Well, it's one of those things that's so incredible. I mean, it's so sort of unique. I guess the British Isles topography and, and just the look of the land in general, like Ireland and, and England, but specifically, you know, in this show, England, 
just what what a great look that is. I mean, it's it's just like this magical sort of unique look and this this I don't know, it just goes so well with the medieval setting. I think we naturally just get juiced up uh seeing that, seeing the look of the land and the British countryside and having that be almost like um a character in the in in the plot because a lot of important things happen there, you know? And we've even made the point to ourselves core of that like if we uh, were to take a trip to England and stuff, as opposed to just going to London and we're like city guys ourselves, yeah. but we would really, really like to take in that aspect of, of, of England and, and get a feel for what that's like to go look at those rolling green Hills and whatever, all those chopped up squares of farmland, whatever the name for that is, but what a treat visually, man, it's, it's incredible. And it has this sense of, of meaning because we know some really important stuff happened uh, on fields and in spaces and on hills that look just that way. Yeah, so. and, and Jonesy, I'm not like a technical expert in, in film, like actual filming and camera angles and, and what kind of cameras and kind of shots, but it seemed to me like they had some really incredible um, uh, angles and, and even in the, they were, the way they filmed some of the major battles, but even the way they would just film like a group of people riding on horseback and you, it would like zoom out and you'd see the, the open land with the forest surrounding it. Yeah. I mean, no, it just the, the camera juiced. work appears to be incredible. Man. Appears to it appears to be kind of incredible, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it, I think it adds to the uh, experience of, of watching the show. A great and, deal. and I think it's a lesson. I think other shows and other people that are in, um, you know, whether it's Hollywood or wherever should learn is that sometimes you don't need computer effects. You don't need um, dragons or wizards all the time like you could use the the earth we live on the land and use maybe some of the technology that allows us to take some of these great shots today so i'm not saying like not to use technology but maybe just use the technology to to make the natural earth and natural land and it and it, and it almost has the same effect it almost got me just as juiced man you know as as seeing you know a, a goblin or an orc you know what i mean when when they would zoom out and just give you that depiction of the land itself I mean, it was yeah, incredible. I mean, it gets me. It gets me more juice because it's 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 just as magical as a goblin, and it's real, you know. And 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 it it's important, you know. That landscape. Think about the things that happened on that landscape, you know, and the way that history and and humans are linked in unlikely ways that they don't think about. Um, I mean, we're doing a podcast right now that has its origins. You know, not on the streets of Manhattan, but on that on that landscape. And we always have had this kind of sense of, you know, that continuity of influence. And to, to us, we always I, I, for me with history, like I always want to trace back to the beginning of ha- how things became the way they are. So right now we're doing a podcast that comes from that landscape that we're talking about. And that comes from those little medieval villages that are you know, mixed in with all that beautiful green. Yeah. And that's like magical. That's exciting. Yeah. Like how the hell does that happen? You know? So, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. And, and that's uh, better than a goblin, you know? Yeah, it is. And even there are some scenes, Jonesy, where you get the idea of what England might've been like being an Island, you know, and, and, you know, uh, the, the beaches, you know, where, where they were, how important it were for ships and invading ships that to use these beaches to land and to invade and, and the, the way that the English had to use the hills and the, and the, and the, you know, whatever they can to, to fight back. 
and and how the perils of just natural like storms would hit and ruin everything and you know nature would just go bad sometimes and you know even in like in the it's in terms of nature when disease hits or you know um Alfred's baby is sick like what did people do you know um and and there was no really like perfect doctor so you just pray to god right does that is that going to save my kid you know what i mean by itself we're just going to say some extra prayers here you know what i mean and and then eventually you know that they go to other means that i'm sure were realistically tried back then i mean it just makes so much sense the whole thing to me Jonesy. it makes a lot of sense and and it's it's so fascinating in in the origin story aspect of england and connecting the dots i mean like that passage i read earlier it's shocking to find out that one of the most influential civilizations in the modern world still at you know a, a very high point in it in its uh prosperity as a group of people the english the english civilization uh, doesn't like have all of this stuff collectively down pat about how they came to be who they are of course england was not always there you know what i mean it's not it's not it wasn't england when rome was rome when rome was at the height of being rome and um or egypt was at the height of being egypt and so on and so on forth so like you know now we're speaking english we're speaking english america you know we we have that language and we have many inherited although we're, we're two different uh, groups of people now. I mean, we have many, many things that we didn't invent the wheel. We we are standing on the shoulders of the British in many respects. We have many inherited cultural traits from yeah. from the British, including, including I mean, some DNA for both of us, including some DNA for 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 many Americans to to varying degrees. But with the, this whole uh, show, this that there's an element of this in that in this show, Corb. That's like. Going back to the beginning and kind of kind of showing you how things started and and became what we now know them to be before they were what we know them to be, and they they make that point uh, a lot with with the character of Alfred's and and the name of the show. You know, yeah. it, it comes back to the the last kingdom, the last kingdom of what the last kingdom that the Danes haven't invaded and and taken over, the last yeah. kingdom. In which, you know, people from these Germanic tribes, and this is another thing, if you want to go even further back, the the Angles, the Saxons, these Germanic tribes that have come now to be long-standing inhabitants of, of Britain and, and look at themselves as, as native English um, inhabit. And then it gets to be a bigger idea to Alfred in the show, even when he's talking to Uhtred Korv, because Uhtred is you know has the the elder the elder he um utrid is a descendant of not the last kingdom of a kingdom who that which has now been taken over by the danes right yeah so how does it so how does it get twisted when alfred's talking to utrid now sort about the about the future and about utrid's motivation to 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 be part of you know the victory for Wessex, which is the last kingdom. I think the idea is that eventually so they'll get the Danes out of some of these other kingdoms and the inherited yeah. uh, rights that Uhtred has to be an elderman of what Northumbria is it? Yep, Northumbria that that he will have he will um, fulfill you know 
his uh, rights as the heir, as the elderman that he's supposed to be in Northumbria because they're going to get the Danes out of Northumbria a little bit. And Alfred has sort of the genius as a leader in the show to take that transcendent line of rhetoric and, and make the last kingdom about all of England. Because if it falls, there is no England. But if it succeeds, England succeeds. And they, if Alfred in real life, like we need to brush up on the history, but if Alfred the Great really pushed that line of propaganda w- with success, yeah. that's some pretty that's some well, pretty impressive stuff. I think they they show on the on, on on the actual series is that Alfred's journey to do that to get to that point where that's what his his goal is and his dreams are and his hopes are. He's almost like um, an unwilling. Like he doesn't want that role, I you know, to begin when the beginning of the show. That's not something he's really trying to do. No, then, which is great, dude. And then as he becomes and grows, and something within him, you know, helps him in a very realistic way get to the point where he becomes a great leader, and he has to accept some of the 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 old tropes of the the religious things and adopt those things, and then go on his own own journey to really find what's important to him. So that by the end of the show, he becomes an incredible leader. He becomes what I what I think when I look at him, and you think 890 AD, being a worldly thinker, he's almost a bridge. He's not a barbarian. To me, he's a bridge between that middle medieval, those dark ages, those those simple times where people were just really just doing battle over all sorts of things all the time, to becoming what happened maybe five, six hundred years later in, in the Renaissance. When people were kind of thinking about their existence in the world and, and what they what was meaningful to them. And it wasn't necessarily just because somebody said, you know, the previous generation said, this is how we do things. You know what I mean? And to well, me, absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. Sure, when, you talk, when you talk about in the beginning of of his introduction as a character about him, like not really wanting the role that much and um, kind of being discouraged by being he's discouraged by being discouraged by religion to not eat meat and not womanize and these pleasures of the flesh that he just feels like, why the hell, what's the, why can't I? And he's afflicted. You should just mention real quick too, is he, he, he's afflicted by some kind of like, maybe it's like Crohn's disease or something like whatever version of that, where it's like, he's hurting it, you know, and it hurts him every day, but he has to be a man about it or whatever. But at the same time, like if God could just fix everything, he's a walking example of, Hey, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm in terrible pain all the time and I'm being told I can't womanize and I can't eat meat and all that. And with, and with all these issues, I think what happens, Corv, and it reminds me of, of a saying. So in the beginning, he's not as enthused about, about leadership and, and he's taking on these challenges of the belief systems within it, which he, uh, you know, lives and has been brought into existence by being a citizen and a, a, an aristocrat in this era, you know, all these things he, he's challenged by just like everybody else. But dude, as we say on this show, he eventually, he discovers his natural juice. He gets juiced because he realizes I'm a good leader. And it reminds well, me of, it reminds me of a saying that seems unrelated. There's a saying I heard a boxing trainer say once, and he was making the point that like the best fighters in the world sometimes don't listen to what their trainer says because yeah. so, sometimes they do, and they are guided. So, like yep. in this, in this, uh, in this instance, you see how Alfred is it's, guided it's an example. by religion. This but, is, dude, he yeah. follows his own instincts as well. Well, I just, and, 
Yeah, I and I think Jonesy, I, the reason I'm juiced right now, and I want to say is it's almost like a good example of of, of what it, what can happen when someone else believes in you, because his brother or his uncle, I think, was the king, and his the uncle's son was next in line to be the king, but the uncle told his 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 main his right hand man before he died in battle, he said, "Listen, when I go down, we got to make sure Alfred's the king here, okay? We can't yeah. have this other guy because he saw in Alfred the strength." And the leadership skills that 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 would be successful and that would be able to take Wessex mm-hmm. to, to, to the future, even though Alfred didn't see it himself at the time. But sometimes hey, in hey, life, hey. when somebody believes in you, Jonesy, and somebody gives you the the confidence, even though you don't know it, but they they see something in you that you can't see in yourself. You know, yep. at the end of the day, you know, you become that 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 person. I think we all need that sometimes. We all need somebody at some point to say, hey. You're the guy for this, or you're the woman for this, or you got this, man. You could do this, lady. You could get this done. You know, sometimes we can't see it in ourselves, you know, and I think this is a case where Alfred didn't see it right away, but then by the end of the show, man, he really he really lived up, up to his role. Yeah, absolutely, and maybe uh, very arguably one of the primary uh, traits in natural leadership is the ability to encourage uh, yep. leadership in others. Yep. And, and fine, it's all, yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. And to spot it and see it, but it's yep. interesting just, just with the logistics of what you're saying is that, you know, whatever that original King saw, he had to make a choice between his actual blood son, who's like a total, um, frat boy kind of guy. Yep. And, and Alfred, you know, the, what he saw in Alfred hadn't developed yet. Like he knew that Alfred hadn't developed that to what it no. would have to be i think he but mentioned he, he saw he, he saw mentions it. um the fact that alfred's stricken by this affliction whether it's whatever kind of digestive problem he has but you never know it because the way he walks around he might not be the most god-fearing person he might not be you know totally straight and narrow following all the traditional rules but he's got guts and he could be the guy you know he's got to, brain and, and 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 if we've built this this nation or this this community over all these hundreds of years and these people are threatening it. He's the guy that I trust, you know, to do it, even though my own son would be, you know, in all other cases, the next in line, I, he had to make the decision because he saw something in, in Alfred that Alfred didn't even see in himself. And it took a long time, took all eight episodes for him to really, I think really feel it and really see it. Yeah. I think they show him coming into his own, you know, bit by bit, there's like these little scenes of, where he under uh, understands that um, he is wise, you know, and that and that and that he has he has the chops for this. I mean, towards the end, they really show it because he's another guy in addition to the priest who um, uses his own guidelines for uh, moral judgment of Uhtred yep. instead of the guidelines. Well, you know, the textbook guidelines <laughs> of the church. It's a great thing on the show, Jonesy, where, like, Uhtred's forcing him to make judgments on him. Like, Uhtred's kind of fucking up the whole show. Sorry for cursing. Like, he's he's yeah. making decisions that are making it hard for Alfred. And you can tell Alfred, you know, he doesn't want to, to – to, he knows Uhtred has value too, just like he has. He knows Uhtred has really got some good in him. But when Uhtred questions the religion in front of everybody or interrupts that ceremony when they're praying, what is he supposed to do? Like, he's constantly forcing Alfred's hand. But Alfred – doesn't uh, even though even at the very point where where Uhtred is sentenced to death or to to fight a fight to the death against his best friend 
And, and, and Alfred summons him in the morning of the fight and says, listen, do me a favor, kid. All right? Just say you're sorry and let's be on with this already. You know? And Nutrid being a hard-headed guy, he's, he's like, no, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And Alfred says, oh, that's enough. I've had enough of you. But he constantly gives Uhtred chances, you know? And, you know, we're not going to give the spoilers, but obviously Uhtred doesn't die for whatever reason. And, yeah. and it pays off in the long run because without Uhtred, Alfred wouldn't have been able to accomplish a lot of what he accomplished by the end of the show. And, and, and I think he, I think that's true, and I think Alfred's eventually accurately won over by uh, Uhtred's, um, y- you know, utmost level of integrity, and and yeah. and he what he he becomes a better leader by relying well, on himself instead and, of the word yeah. of of another, and and the reality um, of Uhtred's way that he assesses situations, and the fact that he when Alfred's in need. Uhtred shows a genuine care, and he doesn't offer as assistance, all right, say a few prayers, and the gods are going to save us, or God's going to save us right now. He said, he actually, Uhtred steps up and makes sacrifices to help the, the greater cause, and I think that are real and valuable, and I think that shows us um, by the end of the show that the realistic loyalty, Jonesy, like the realistic way of, of when you really care about somebody, and you're not just saying, oh, you know, I'll help you out or I'll do this for you. But when you actually step up to the plate and you actually do something, you know yes. what I mean? That wins somebody over and that kind of loyalty that pays off is really invaluable. I mean, he can, he can have the trust in Uhtred that, that he, he aims to have in God. Exactly. You know? Ding, ding, and, ding. And, and at the end of the episode, I think it does take, it, it does show some real leadership chops in these extremely religious times that the show is placed in that, uh, as as the king of England, essentially, you know, uh, Alfred decides that he will be referring not to the rhetoric of the Bible or the church, but to his own judgment uh, for for assessing, you know, Uhtred as 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 a countryman and as a as a colleague. So that sort of leadership development really takes place because I think by the time a leader in those situations can stand on their own two feet, you know, and he's still a Christian. He, it's not like he denounced Christianity, but there's a lot more flexibility in the way oh. he's uh, maneuvering Don't intellectually. Wouldn't our, our country and our society benefit a little bit more today if we had folks in these, you know, in the current landscape of the leaders of who might be the leader of our country, that would be a little more realistic and flexible and really be able to appreciate real loyalty and not just some some one-time fake vote and then not give a crap about people after that. You know, wouldn't it be nice to have a guy that was in charge or that was, you know, partly in charge at least with checks and balances that, that actually did care about people because he was the benefit of real loyalty or she was the benefit of real loyalty and not some complete farce? Yep. I mean, listen, as the be-all, end-all of, of he who passes judgment, Within the body of one on this series, by the end of it, Alfred increases the separation of church and state a little bit just by his own just by his own perspective and what the way what forces that issue is his relationship with Uhtred. You know yep. what I mean? Totally. The, 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 that that gets separated more those two forces, and, it, and that's a great it, thing to watch. Isn't it realistic, Josie? Like, didn't you get the feel where it's like, or, you know it's not dumping on Christianity, it's not dumping on on any one thing. But there's totally realistic. This show nails a realistic approach to religion and what what must have been like back then, and what it is like now in a, in a lot of ways when you're talking religion. 
in, in many, many ways, in many, many ways. I mean, it, sh it shows uh, respect for, for, you know, various perspectives and it doesn't, it doesn't knock anyone down. And I think a lot of atheists would like to show because, you know, Uhtred the Godless uh, demonstrates his, his personal level of integrity, dignity, loyalty to his friends and to the state and to those he loves to, to the utmost level on the show. And he is Uhtred the Godless. So, you know, you have that and then you have the way people um, view him and, and uh, are changed and you have the... Should we all... Touch on the groveling scene real quick because I think that yeah yeah you know there's a scene here where Uhtred's gotten himself in trouble once again by acting like kind of like a, a rowdy jerk in 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 the king's court and so the king you know again Alfred's giving Uhtred that leash he's not putting him in the stocks you know right away but he's sentencing him to groveling and what groveling was Jonesy you know for the folks out there is like you had to like basically in front of the whole town you know the whole city. You know, make say you're so sorry on your hands and knees to God for what you've done and beg for forgiveness. Am I right on that so far? You are. So Uhtred's on his hands and knees with another character who actually steals the scene. And um, he's there and he, and, and he can't bring himself to grovel. He can't do it, you know, because he, he just has been so torn his whole life. He can't do it. And, and luckily for him... The other guy he's with at the time is an El Natural and does such a tremendous job groveling, even though you know he's not being like sincere about it, that it that it saves them from the whole the whole outcome. Like everything's you know, the the, the crowd was totally pleased with the groveling performance of that one guy, you know, just by appealing to God, even though the guy didn't really mean it, you know? No, and, it's it, it's hilarious because he he gets really sarcastic about being sorry about how much he loves whores, essentially. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it's actually grade A comedy. I mean, before I oh. give another proposal or something, or make another serious point here, Corb, I want to mm -hmm. make two points. Number one, the guy who plays this actor who is the rightful heir to the throne but whose father, before he died in battle, like you explained to the folks, uh put in the word for, for Alfred over his own blood related son. That actor is, is really, really good. Harry McIntyre is his name. He's out of, uh, he's out of, uh, Surrey, England, Harry McIntyre. Harry McIntyre is, is hilarious in this show. And he's not the only hilarious guy. Corb, this show has a lot of really natural, mm. um, and some of it can't be fully unintentional. I mean, there, no. there's some there's some like really realistic comedy as comedy occurs yeah. in the real world. This show's pretty funny, man. I got to be really, honest. Like, it's realistic I'm, I'm too about it. on a lot of episodes. I mean, Jonesy, they they even like how Uhtred's best buddy calls him halfling all the time because he's half a you know Dane, half a, a Christian or whatever. Yeah. And it's like a derogatory term. But Uhtred, like, after a while, it's like how you kind of rib your buddies. You know what I mean? Uhtred kind of gets a kick out of it and he even introduces himself to, to one of his ro romantic uh, uh, counterparts in, in, the, in the series. Like, yeah, I'm the halfling, you know? And just the natural, yeah. like, it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of funny that, he, that he's just rolling with that. You know what I mean? But, dude, it's so real, so natural, man. I mean, and, dude, I mean, some of the Vikings, some of the Danes oh. are really funny. Should we Who do a little wrong? bit on the Danes? Uh -huh. Because I feel like we we haven't like just the Danes yeah 
Like the yeah, well, yeah r- r- run the folks down on some on some Dane so, Dane tidbits. Yeah, there's like three. Well, you know, it's the first episode. It's one of those shows where you go, you watch the first episode, and the, and the folks that take you through the first episode as the main Danes don't make it much further past that. But they're just so authentic because I think they casted real um, Scandinavian people, probably with that bloodline, and and they, they were juiced up to do the role because they're the whole time they're they're kind of like. They're all about kind of conquering and and stuff like that. But they're also, you know, they they're pretty good with one-liners and they're kind of funny. And uh, the main character, the main one of the main Danes, um, what's his name? Ada, Abba, uh, Ada or something. The the, the blonde-haired Abba. guy. Abba. Abba. I yeah. mean, he's like a caricature because he's like a barbarian, but he's kind of smart. But he, every time he talks or whatever, you know, I mean, he's kind of. Until Uchred really pisses him off, he's kind of joking around and stuff, you know. And uh, I don't know, Jonesy. Like just seeing these guys, they just looked the part, they sounded the part, and they they um they kind of made me as like realistic. They're supposed to be the bad guys, but then at the same time, you're kind of like enjoying every time they're on the screen. But they're so, not. They're it's not that black and white. <laughs> yeah, which is so refreshing to me as yeah. someone who's you know followed movies and and pro wrestling when you have a good guy and a bad guy. You're all, you know, to have sort of everybody as an in-betweener makes more sense to me because there's always two sides to every story, right? At least. So yeah, at least. So to have the show, they could have totally dumped on the Danes, right? Because they're, they're, it was a British-produced show or whatever, you know, and, and you know, but they, they really did them justice, I thought. I mean, I thought they were, they were really likable. The, the Danes are, are super likable, man, um, in, in a lot of instances. Absolutely. And they... They make the points on the show that the Danes uh, not only have the love of uh, war and of fighting, but the love of life itself. They they have a big joie de vivre. They like to they like to party. They like to socialize, and that they make that point very explicitly. So they actually even go out of their way. They're not really guilty for that. Like they're not really. It's not really. It's kind of good to be able to to not always be miserable or not always waste your time while you're alive. You know, I mean, having a good time with your pals is kind of fun sometimes. No, it's super fun. In fact, maybe it's one of the main things you should be doing. And and the Danes are not uh, vilified. They're not vilified for that on on the show. So you know, there's so much to say about (laughs) about the Danes. I mean, they're they're like half the show. Um, right, and they're a perfect complement, I think, to to the um, to the English and the, the you know the the, the God fearing English community with its own people that are insecure about that within that community. But then you have these Danes invading, but they're also like real like human beings, and they have real flaws and real strengths. In so much that one of the main Danes, the only one who really makes it to the end of the show. You know who has been pretty ruthless about things. You know along the way. Um, you know by the end of the show, he uh, he, he 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 just uses the situation to convert himself to Christianity and and does like a you know a performance about he's he's washing himself and 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 he totally flips the switch. You know just for his own benefit. And I thought that was totally realistic. Yes, I mean, and and uh, before that point, before he actually becomes a Christian, just to give a, a few, another supporting detail to what I was telling folks as a recommendation about the comedy of this show, like you go watch this show and you're going to have some comical treats. One of the the ongoing um, like 
instances of, of comedy that that's reoccurring is the uh, Viking skepticism of Christianity throughout the episodes. There's some really funny moments with that. Yeah. And um, the little intricacies of like the, the decision making that they have and, you know, questions they ask about it, just like yeah. their whole reaction. Yeah. I just think, I think it's good stuff. So, um, you know, what can I say, man? I mean, it's just a tremendous dichotomy with the Danes and the, and the English. And then to realize that, you know, obviously there was some blending that went on during that time period. The fact that that's kind of how England was built on the backs of both those kind of cultures and some more, you know, it's pretty incredible stuff, you know? Absolutely, Corbin. To get us out of here, let's tag team, tag team some proposals because I got some good points to make here. Um, unless there, unless you have a whole other uh, direction you want to go in first. No, no, that's 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 fine. Let's do the proposal. Okay. So, so one of the unique things about this show, folks, is is if you look up the term, and uh, this exact defi- definition is from Wikipedia again, but if you look up the term ethnogenesis, it that is the formation and development of an ethnic group. This can originate through a process of self-identification as well as come about as the result of outside identification. But it's basically the, uh, the formation and development of an ethnic group. Now, to connect the dots on these things, this is really interesting stuff. I mean, like this author was saying, sometimes in, in England, he, he felt as if the English just had this idea that the English were always there. Um, you know, and that obviously that's not true. That's crazy. And the, the much newer nation uh, of America does not. We have we know everybody knows 1776. And, you know, we know we haven't always been here. But ethnogenesis, I mean, it gets so complicated because even the word England comes from the uh, tribe that is originally from like something that sounds similar in Germany, like Angeln or something. And they were the Angles. And that's where, you know, the Saxons were another Germanic tribe. And the, the Angles and the Saxons were uh, combined into that word. They were like two of the main tribes of, of, of England. But who came who came from what is like now Germany and were Germ- Germanic tribes? And when they came, the word... Britain is from like the Britanni, which were a Celtic tribe and had Druids and stuff like that. So like even further back in time when, you know, the the native Britons met the invading Germanic tribes, that would be a whole other previous chapter kind of, of in what's going on. And it's interesting how in the identity of England, you know, you have both words. You have the Britain, you Britain from from the original Celts or Celts. And you have the English. But, you know, in history, Corv, there's so many interesting civilizations that that we love. And we watched yep. Rome um, and stuff like that. So, like, the ethnogenesis of, of Rome would be that, you know, they were the Latins, for which we know the, the tribe name um, Latin and the language Latin. But they, they mixed with the Sabines and the Etruscans, which faded into obscurity, although the first kings of, of Rome, of the Roman kingdom, were of the Etruscan ethnicity. So that would be very similar. It would be a very similar parallel to do Rome in that way. Even though we watched the Rome uh, HBO series, Corp, it wasn't the ethnogenesis of when the Roman identity formed. So to, 
I don't know. I just think it's really interesting to watch the the, the identity as we know it co- coming in, coming to be. You know, I lo- I love that aspect of the show. Um, I don't know if we could think of any others specifically like that, but whether it's the ethnogenesis process or not, how many civilizations would we like to see this general approach um, taken with? And we were rattling them off the other day, Corv. Yeah. Um. Sorry, man. I mean, you, 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 you mentioned. I, 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 I mentioned to you. I said I would love to see the Babylonians, and you got so juiced just talking about ha- Hammurabi and like who might play Hammurabi. You know, yeah. the BBC did stuff like that. But I think we need the BBC to either be the ones to do it, or we need other studios to, to to take the BBC model of doing it, which is to hire authentic people to in the in those roles. I mean, we talked about the Ben-Hur movie, the remake, and I sent you a picture of Morgan Freeman. We had a back and forth about the misplacement of certain people in certain roles for certain reasons, man. But I think, you know, there's nothing wrong if we're going to do an authentic series, an authentic version of Hammurabi. Let's really pick someone with the right DNA makeup to play that role who's got some chops. You know, let's pick David Dawson to be Alfred the Great because he's got the right the right phenotype, the right genotype, and he's got the chops to do it. I mean, I think we have to and do there's that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing you know wrong with I mean? that. You know, and I'm sick and tired of all these mainstream things where we're just like Christian Bale's Moses. I mean, I'm a huge Bale guy, but come on, it's ridiculous. Okay? And the other guy was Ramsey's? The other white guy? I mean, ridiculous. And it goes both ways. Absolutely. We don't want to see a white guy or or a little Mexican guy or a big Mexican guy uh, playing Nelson Mandela, you know, no. and, and if, if you're playing Gandhi, you know, you better look like Gandhi. You know what I mean? Ben Kingsley, you know, the guy is, is part Indian and he, by golly, he looked like Gandhi. <laughs> OK. Um, and, and then okay. The, okay. <laughs> is that too much? To, I mean, Jody, on a few episodes back, you went nuts about someone having the wrong accent. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. going nuts about somebody looking completely wrong. Well, yeah, no, and, and it's interesting. We like the Rome series, and, and this is even chopping it up, but th- those people, those British actors, they don't really look like they're straight from, no. from the boot. They don't look like they're Mediterranean, Italian oh. people, uh, Italo people, you know. They actually and, and, did and, a little better job with that on the Spartacus show that from a few years ago on Star But I'm sure when – yeah, I, but I'm sure when folks in Naples – and, you know, Palermo and Calabria are watching that show. They're saying, hey, couldn't they get some people who look like us who have Dude. always been living in this region of the I world? Mean, another show I watched a lot religiously, Jonesy, was The Borgias. And, uh, dude, Jeremy Irons, the great Englishman, was playing Rodrigo Borgia, man. And it just was, like, ridiculous. I mean, come on. I mean, and it, he was tremendous. I mean, Jeremy Irons is tremendous, tremendous actor. But, um, you know, it just didn't – it just doesn't it – everybody was white. You know, and they're oh, in listen, Italy. They're in Rome. Rome. Listen, everybody was white, Jones. If we're if we're doing a show about um, the early Etruscan influence, that's such a mystery in Rome. Let's get those people looking somewhat Italian, okay? If we're doing a show about the Persians and Cyrus the Great, let's get those people looking somewhat Iranian. If okay. we're doing a show about the. Uh, all of the many pharaohs choose – you have your pick of Egypt. Let's get those people looking somewhat or a lot what like what modern Egyptians look like. B- 
because you know we just want to feel like we're watching something that, as far as maybe we know, the, maybe is, the show will make more money too in the long run. What I mean, it, what it what it what it really was like? Yeah, absolutely, and that goes for the Ottoman Empire. Well, when the I, you know it would be so cool, Corv. Yeah, when the Arabs were in Europe, like uh, in Spain and stuff. The Moors. What what what? Yeah, what we, I don't they didn't call themselves the Moors, but yes, the, what are referred to as the Moors. That would be some. That would be an awesome series to yeah. me because you would have those those multiple elements going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the authenticity to history that we're talking about. That I think there's a market and there's an absolute place for non Game of Thrones style, non Christian Bale's Moses style period pieces. We have a plethora of history that we could learn about, and that actors would get juiced up to play certain roles. And I don't think we get enough of it, Jonesy. And I think no. we could do a lot better. And I think the BBC is doing a good job with The Last Kingdom. They're up for season two. But you know what? They're going to need some help and they're going to need to branch out. There's a whole hell of a lot of human history. You know what I mean? That would make for good, good uh, no, uh, hey, film and No, of course. And we got to nail it, too. I mean, like, we can't just when, – when something's close enough, like you talk about Caucasoid features, like – Okay, we're actually getting picky here, Jonesy and Corp. We're saying like, let's make um, let's make the people in in the the Rome series next time, and we like Rome, but let's make them look more Southern European and more Mediterranean um, than uh, th- than they looked like like <laughs> like they're from the British Isles because most of the actors who were playing these Romans were from the British Isles. Now, there's some differences in those two in those two uh, phenotypes w- within the European group. And um, it, it's, just one, it's just one of those it's, things, you know. It's it, kind of like when you have a, a 32-year-old dude playing an 18-year-old in high school, you know, and you're looking at it and you're like, you're just taken out of the whole, you can't suspend disbelief. I, I, I drive that point on all the time about the importance of being able to just relax and suspend disbelief that you're watching a, a movie, you know what I mean? But you can't do it because you're like, this guy is, this guy is older than I am and he's playing, he's in high school. I mean, this doesn't make sense. It's the same thing when you have someone with a, uh, you know, a completely wrong phenotype playing them. Yeah. So, you know, one show that did get it right, Jonesy, was um, Man in the High Castle, I think. They had a lot of authentic Japanese people playing the... Japanese, Absolutely. Uh, they they nailed it. I mean, I've never seen I mean, when you start misplacing, you know, non-Asians for Asians, I've never really seen that. Yeah. The but Germans like, were pretty good too though, like that a couple of those guys. Absolutely. They look German. And also the show has um, had the, the source material to kind of blend things because the German occupancy of the United States. So you got a guy named John Smith. You know, well, that's a whole other thing. I think we talked about that earlier. That's already, a but. whole other thing. But listen, <laughs> when when somebody when we finally knock Genghis Khan out of the park, okay? Hey, Marco Polo, man. What's going on with that show on Netflix? I mean, Netflix pipes that garbage up, which should have been a great show. And I, I told my, I talked to my dad about this the other day. All right, they have Marco Polo trying to be Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? When Marco Polo is more really, if you really wanted to get me juiced up on the show, he should be that guy on that Geico commercial, that old man that's playing Marco Polo in the pool with the kids. With the Marco Polo hat on. I mean, let's get things a little more realistic here. I mean, we need to redo Marco Polo, so we'll t- we'll they talk. They need to about redo that. that whole series. We, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. You know, but when you're you're should... in school, Jonesy, the teacher hands you back your paper and she says that ah, you're gonna need to rewrite this whole thing. I'm telling Netflix, at ah, I'm gonna need you to redo that whole series because Marco Polo means a lot to me, and and I'm gonna need them to just hit, yep. you know hit that one more time. Start over. Yep. Start over. 
Yeah. But when I was just saying, when we finally, you know, as as the human as the human team that we are, as the human species, when we finally nail Genghis Khan on screen, Corb, I don't want to see John Leguizamo playing him. Okay. No. I don't want to see anything like that. That shouldn't be no. a box. And Leguizamo job. has a place, you know, where he could play. He does, but. Not Genghis Khan. That's not, not Khan, his place. Man. Not Khan. I'm a big Leguizamo guy, but he better not turn up as Khan. I'm a big Leguizamo guy, but he better never turn up as Genghis Khan. Yeah, and we you want a real heard. Mongolian for that. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah, I think we can keep going on here, man. I mean, we do. I just want to make this one last yeah. proposal real tidbit. Yeah. I, re- I really love the idea that this fit with, with this kind of fictional series that has a largely historical, accurate setting yep. i think a lot can be learned about it because he gets sucked into the storyline and all the freedom that the writers and creators of the show have with the storyline but then you can learn a lot about the historically accurate backdrop so with shows like this i think it would be really beneficial to have accompanying short videos for each episode for the purpose of relating the fictional storyline to the historically accurate backdrop as much as possible in which the storylines place. And it would be an awesome, awesome add-on. And and just like, for instance, two examples in this show, Uhtred the Bold, you know, when they say Uhtred, son of Uhtred, I think, I think that the actual writer of this book, the Saxon stories, is related to the original Uhtred the Bold. So like one segment would be like d- describing what the actual inspiration of this character is and, you, you know, how the real guy actually existed because there's a very real connection there. And then obviously Alfred the Great, And then explaining, you know, Dane law in England and what was going on with the actual Viking contribution to England. And just like little five minute videos that correlated to, you know, the story at the time, but really made it, you know, the story in the fictional series, but really made it that much more educational because all those real connections are there. And guys like us would watch those add on videos, you know, for for explaining the relevance of the actual historical connections. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I would actually subscribe to that feed. Yes. Way, you know, that's something yep. I would do. So that's it. Did you did you formulate an outro yeah. candidate as yeah. is your job? Uh huh. You're ready. You're, I'm ready. Right. You want to tell them who we are? We're Uhtred, son of Uhtred. No, we are, uh, yeah, no, we're the thing in your armor. I mean, we got business offerings for doing the kinds of things we're doing uh, for helping you podcast and run businesses similarly. If you like our intro at the beginning of our episodes and you want something like that written for yourself and, you know, or a website like our website, when you actually go to it and check out thethinkinyourarmor.com, just drop us a line and we'll get right back to you. Thethinkinyourarmor.com, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Hit us up, folks. Talk to us. Uh, give us your thoughts about, you know, improving things, as we're always talking about doing. And and that's it, Corb. All right, man. Uh, so uh, out, man. leave everybody with this quote right here, straight out of the Last Kingdom book itself. Destiny is all, Raven liked to tell me. Destiny is everything. We'll see you guys next time. Keep your thinking capels on.